1: So I I started to show my video teaser and my picture shows the uh, Gun for Hire uh, Radio Horse's Ass Award. Nice. And uh, the Horse's Ass Award this week is going out to all of the uh, police department clerks and uh, chiefs (laughs) and, uh, you know, uh, the uh, administrators that are lying. To the countless people that are waiting for their FID cards, their pistol permits, and their carry permits, uh, I have countless stories and emails from departments lying uh, because they 're either lazy, inept, overwhelmed or they just or they 're anti uh, law-abiding citizen, anti-law-abiding gun owner, anti-gun, or whatever. But the the, the magnifying glass is on all of you, by the way, and the pressure is being put on with the emails and calls to the chiefs and the mayors and all the other elected officials. So uh, your time is coming. So you all get the big horse's ass award. And uh, without further ado, uh, back by popular demand, we have Jay Factor, who is our 2A historian, and he's going to be updating us on a bunch of stuff. He's been, he's been doing this whole video series of educating people, and he's been helping a lot of people out with guidance and direction. So um, we're going to give the show to, to Jay for an hour. Obviously, I'll be bouncing some stuff off of him as Sandy as well. But Jay, are you out
2: there? I am here. Thank you for having me. All back. right.
1: Uh, you're welcome, Jay. You're welcome anytime. So uh, I know you sent me a bunch of links. I look. I'm looking at them now. Wherever you want to start, please let's get it.
2: So you asked me to do a show on the history, and I think with the Coons case and the Siegel case working right now, um, the history becomes more important than ever because New Jersey is literally throwing any single. <laughs> analog they can find <laughs> at the wall yeah. and it's really important that people understand what analogs are allowed to be used and what are not and so the first thing that I want to go over today which I think is the most important and Sandy's going to have to track me on time on this because I'm, I'm really dealing with like 150 years and trying to fit it all into a, um into a radio show, but the New Jersey Constitution of 1947 has a clause in Article 1, Paragraph 3, and it reads that no, no person shall be deprived of the inestimable privilege of worshipping Almighty God in a manner agreeable to the dictates of his own conscience. conscience. So that is probably the most important part of when we say historical analogs in New Jersey for us. Uh, and, and I'm going to tell you why. So before before I explain it and get to it, I just, I'd like to hear from Sandy and, and you, Anthony, what your take on the right of conscience is.
1: The, the right of conscience, I would think, is basically what we feel in, in, in our mind or in society is what's acceptable or what's allowed.
2: You'll, you're agreeing with that, Sandy?
0: Yeah, pretty much.
2: All right. See, that's exactly that's exactly right. And so I think that over the last 250 years, and actually, if we want it from where I'm going to start, it's going to be about 350 years. That people have mm. lost track of what the, the right of conscience is. And they think that it's the freedom of religion. And it's not the freedom of religion. It's exactly what you guys just just said it, it was. And so... I'm going to go back to... I'm going to go back to 1600 New Jersey. Okay? And okay. so... Let me let me ask you another question. If you're going to leave Gun for Hire and you're going to go into the city, are you going to go uh, Route Three to the t- tunnel, or are you going to take 95 and cross the GW Bridge? GWB. Okay, and what is that body of water that you're crossing?
1: Um, the Hudson River.
2: Very good. So I passed. In, in 1609, Henry Hudson sails up the Hudson River. And he claims new he claims New York and New Jersey or what we now know as New York and New Jersey for his government. And what when you go into the city, what would you what do you call the city?
1: Back then, Manhattan. No, no. The Island of Manhattan. Okay. New York?
2: New York. Right. That's what it's New called York. today. So in 1609 it's New Amsterdam. Yes. And the governor of New Amsterdam. So so Henry Henry Hudson claims New York and New Jersey for the Dutch. So it's a, it's a Dutch colony. And all the settlers are Dutch, and there's some, there's some Scandinavian uh, settlers in there, too. And he has a governor, and you guys have probably, in the course of your life, know of a place called Stuyvesant Avenue or Stuyvesant S- or something S- like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. so Peter, Peter Stuyvesant is the Dutch governor of the area. And when I say the area... I pretty much mean the tri-state area, but definitely New York and New Jersey, okay? And so, like, I know there's places in Brooklyn that are very heavy Dutch with a lot of Stuyvesant Avenues. Um, Mm -hmm. Paulus Hook is is Dutch, things like that. Bedford-Stuyvesant. Right. So, what happens is the Quakers are coming over here from England, and they're... They're really escaping Catholicism. They don't want to pay taxes to the Church of England. And they think that their religious freedom says they don't have to do that. And these these guys must be super into it because I can't even imagine getting on a wooden ship Hmm, and sailing 3,000 miles across the ocean because... um, What a
1: set of stones.
2: uh, Unbelievable, right? But... these guys get here and they petition uh peter stuyvesant for citizenship and he blows them off and so they start sending word back to england that the governor of this area won't won't let them live here and so the king, now this is James, the king sends over a ship with 450 dudes. It's actually sends three ships with 450 dudes and these guys come to New Jersey and surround the Dutch and the Dutch surrender in three days. <coughs> And yeah, and the reason you know, mm-hmm. 450, 450 soldiers show up in three ships. That these the Dutch are just there to do business, and they do have like a militia system, and they do have forts, but they run out of ammunition, and so Peter Stuyvesant knows that they're gonna they're gonna get their asses handed to him, and he surrenders immediately, and the English take over. So this guy, this guy that, the the king, I'm sorry, it's not um, it's Charles, it's Charles the Second at the time. So this guy that that the king sends to New York and New Jersey, his name is is Colonel Richard Nichols, and so the king. sets up Richard Nichols as the governor of New York and New Jersey. And apparently, like, I don't know what's exactly going on in England at the time, but it sounds to me, or it reads to me like, these guys aren't the sharpest tools in the shed, because right around the time he sends the 450 soldiers to New Amsterdam, he also grants New York and New Jersey to the Duke of York. And so the Duke of York, remember the Duke of York is a really wealthy guy working or in the British monarchy, and he's not going to get on a ship and sail over here to take out an axe and cut down trees and build a log cabin. He's just not, you know, that's not what that guy's going to do. So the Duke of York... Ends up granting New Jersey to Lord Berkeley and George Carteret. And so, actually, you know, for the guys who follow me and know when I talk about Patterson's Laws, the grant of King James to the Duke of York, the grant to the Duke of York, and then the the grant to Berkeley and Carteret, that is part of our founding documents. So there's actually a copy of the grant to the Duke of York in the first pages of Patterson's laws, which are our first laws as a state of New Jersey after we threw off, after we threw off the British, um, the British government. So before that are the laws of Allenson, which were last printed in 1776, and then when we get rid of that and recodify the statutes, uh, it's William Patterson is our attorney general, and he's working for William Livingston as our governor. So in, inside, inside the grant to the Duke of York, um, it's to try to read this thing is, is brutal. It, it's hard to believe when, when you sit down and read it that it's actually the same language that we speak because these guys talk in a really really weird way and the other problem is the printers back in the day use that lowercase f as s's and so you really have to be sharp when you read this to try to understand it and so what I have found for me is that it's easier if I drag and drop stuff like that and then go through it and change all the lowercase f's back to s's and then try to read it because you'll get lost. But there's a lot of court cases that go on. I think the most important one is called Martin V. Waddell. But they talk about the grant to the Duke of York as one of our founding documents. And so just to like, explain it a little further anytime there's a legal dispute and there was a lot of legal disputes between New York and, and New Jersey and New Jersey and Delaware and then there's a lot of legal disputes on you know who owns the mussels who owns the fish what the borders are what the borders of the mm-hmm. rivers are who owns the rivers and so in these federal court cases, and some of these court cases are actually in District Court D, where Judge Bum, is it Bum, B-U-M-B, Judge Bum?
1: B-U-M-B, yeah, like Bumblebee, Bum. Where Judge yep.
2: Bum is. So some of these cases are actually come out of that court, and then there's others that are in the in the Supreme Court. So I'm just going to read, I know Sandy hates this, but I'm going to read it because it's kind of important that. I sucked out a couple, a couple sentences out of the grant to the Duke of York. By these presents that it shall be lawful for any of the inhabitants at all times to take, lead, carry, and transport all such implements and other things usually transported for their use and defense thereof and managing and carrying on trade with the people there and in passing and returning to and fro. The inhabitants of the said territories, they and every other of them, shall and lawfully may from time to time and at all times hereafter forever, for their several defense and safety, encounter, expulse, repel, and resist by force of arms, as well as by sea as by land, and always and means whatsoever, all such person and persons as shall without the special license of our said dearest brother. the said dearest brother is the Duke of York so, the reason I bring that up is because the grant to the Duke of York is actually organic law. It's a legal document recognized by the state of New Jersey and the federal government. And, and that document has been cited in court cases before and so the reason i bring it up is because if that little piece that i just that i just read to you said from you know i think i think we're in uh 1664 is the duke the grant um that you that for your defense and safety you can repel and resist by force of arms and then it throws in there forever without a special license from our dearest brother, which would be the government. And so that's very important. And so while while the, the grant to the Duke of York doesn't fit into what we cons- would consider at the time of the founding, at the time of the founding is not locked into the bill, when the Bill of Rights is ratified or that 1791 number that people talk about. So it's not locked yeah. into that particular year, it's the experiences of the founders that led to the Second Amendment. And so it's to have the grant from the Duke of York in your back pocket when you're arguing in court is very important especially especially and it's it's interesting because it seems to me the only citation the state makes that holds any sort of water at all and it's not it's not much water but Anthony Anthony forwarded me a list from ANGRPC of all the documents from the case and one of them is called the certification of Joseph R. Klett and Joseph R. Klett is the New Jersey Division of Archives and Records Management guy. Mm -hmm. And so he's the guy that comes up with the 1771 law that the state is citing as one of their analogs to say that they're Mm -hmm. allowed to regulate carrying of arms on private property. And it's a really, really weird analog for a multitude of reasons, but the one thing that I think gets missed when people are arguing court cases is sometimes I think. And what what did they say the other day, um, Anthony? That the state filed a hundred pages. Is that is that? Yeah,
1: they asked permission. The lo, the, the the rules are sixty pages. They sixty asked pages. Hundred pages. They want a hundred pages. The, and the judge and granted it.
2: Well, they're really shooting themselves in the foot because. Um, it's very difficult for people to read and understand 100 pages. Even 60 pages is a lot. So to me, it would seem to me if you had a really good analog, you would just list that analog and say, this is why we made this law. And I don't, I don't think they have it. And that's, why, and that's why they're trying to hit the judge with 100 pages. But, but the judge is not stupid. Right, right. So the, the 1771 law that New Jersey sites is actually a game law. And it was designed because what was happening was people were going on other people's property. And when I say other people's property, I don't mean into their houses. you got to remember, in 1771, New Jersey doesn't look anything like it looks today. It's just woods. And so when people own land, they own acres and acres and acres of land. But you also have to remember back then there is no shop right. There is no path mark. And so if you're going to get food, you have to get the food off your land. And you don't want some guy coming onto your land and shooting your deer or your turkey. And so this law was a game law designed to prevent poaching. It was not designed to prevent self-defense. and. I think that's the most important part of understanding that law. Now, I one of the links that I gave you is is a Supreme Court case called Pat's Own v. Pennsylvania. This happened in Pennsylvania. There was a big court case on game laws, and in Pennsylvania, they were trying to disarm immigrants, unnaturalized citizens that were coming to America. And then getting a hunting rifle or a shotgun and going on people's land and killing deer and taking it off the people's land, and people were upset by that because that was that deer was you know part of their produce section or their meat mm-hmm. section, and that's where they got their food from. So they were very upset. And so the reason that that own owns important is because. The Supreme Court actually upheld the Pennsylvania law that said you could prevent people from carrying shotguns in the woods. It wasn't really a private property case. But what it did say in Pat's own was that the reason it's constitutional is because the law doesn't prevent anyone from carrying a pistol, which may be needed occasionally for self-defense. And that is critical. Because for the same law as the law that New Jersey is citing with that 1771 game law, that in order for the law to be constitutional, you could prevent hunting. So you could technically prevent someone from carrying a hunting rifle. You can't even have that in New Jersey, so it would have to be a shotgun, right? And so you could prevent someone from hunting. and, and And it's interesting if you actually read the law, it's less about hunting and more about setting traps um, setting guns on strings with trip wires and traps more than it actually is guys walking through the woods and hunting but it's very interesting that the guy and the guy's name again is Joseph R. Klett the guy from the archives cites the entire law in Allison's Law and there's he doesn't like he doesn't type it out he actually puts pictures of allenson's laws in his brief in his certification so this is angela kai using this as as her analog but but the the section that they're using is section 12 the um the game law, and then what they try to claim is that these laws are carried forward in the state constitution of 1776, and there's a section in the constitution of 1776 that says, all the laws of this province contained in the edition lately published by Mr. Allenson shall be and remain in full force until altered by the legislature. And they're trying to say that this game law is not altered by the legislature, there's some, there's some problems with that, but what I want to explain to you is that if you, if you actually read the whole statute, New Jersey, New Jersey's, either they didn't read it or they didn't understand it, but in Section 2 of the same 1771 law that New Jersey's citing about private property, it says nothing in this law shall prevent anyone from carrying a firearm upon the public highways. <laughs> and so that is that is really goes that is the opposite of what New Jersey's claiming when they're saying that you can't carry your handgun with your two c fifty eight dash four permit under this Danielson bill in your car, and you know they have a hundred reasons why they want it, and they're all super stupid reasons, but the law in seventeen seventy one was we're gonna. You're not allowed to hunt on other people's property, but nothing in that law is going to prevent you from carrying a gun on the highway. And so, right there, New Jersey. If anybody, if anybody picks up on that, like if Dan, if Dan picks up on that, or uh, David picks up on that, that crushes the whole "you can't carry in your car" argument. And so, there's there's some more problems. There are some more problems with the 1771 law. And so I sent you guys two links from two New Jersey court cases in the New Jersey Supreme Court. One of them is Champ v. Shank, which is 1878. Mm-hmm. And the other one is Beauvier v. Baltimore and New York Railroad. And so those are really, really good cases for us to understand a- as historians, not as lawyers. Because what they say is once Patterson recodifies the laws in 1800, anything that Patterson doesn't include in the laws is not applicable anymore. So if Patterson doesn't include that anti poaching law in there, it's not applicable. And and the reason that I know this is because I, I've been dealing, remember, I started doing this years and years and years ago. and Well before Bruin in New Jersey, they came at us with that statute in Northampton crap. And so the reason that I know it is not, and it was easy for me to get there, was not because of New Jersey's citation of the 1771 case. It was because i have been fighting the statute in Northampton for years, and... That was never recodified in Patterson's laws in 1800, which meant it was never applicable to the state of New Jersey. And there's actually a clause in Patterson's laws that says, "No adjudication, law digest, law from England shall be accepted in any court of law after July 2nd, 1776," and and that's in that's in Patterson's laws, and so. You know the state of New Jersey shouldn't have even been citing the statute of Northampton back in that Burton case, but you got to remember that you know this whole disarm the people thing um, the Second Amendment is not unlimited that that scholarship began in the sixties, and so what they're trying to do with that is make us feel like the right has limitations. And that is actually absurd because the definition of infringed is actually too limited. And so you can't say it's unlimited if the definition is shall not be infringed. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. And so you've got to understand why New Jersey does this. It, it, the, one of the reasons that they do it is they want to start casting doubt on how important the second amendment is as far as setting where the law's boundaries are allowed to go okay and so i'm gonna i'm gonna move off i'm gonna move off of that and i'm gonna get back into this right of conscience and sandy you're gonna have to keep me you're gonna have to keep me on time because
0: well we're (coughs) getting close you'll hear music now uh so maybe this would be a good point to uh Okay. To break and, well, uh, Why don't you do the floor. break
2: and then I'll, I'll, I'll yep. start from scratch on the return.
0: Diane Pruitt, founder, Guiding Rain's Equine Assisted Therapy for Veterans, First Responders, and their families.
3: Another incredible activity that we've done, we had them work in teams um, where they had to get the horses through the obstacles. No lead line, no touching, uh, but had them carry what we call a bucket of burdens and we actually had them write on a sticker two goals and two burdens you know of each team member and the goal the only stipulation was that you could never set that bucket down and that you needed to exchange the bucket once you completed an obstacle then i would hand it off to you and we had like four obstacles and so i observed and we watched this team go through this whole process and when uh, it was a female veteran she never let that bucket go and once they completed an obstacle we asked them to, to take a rock or goal out and set it down the obstacle never unloaded a rock finished the whole activity I asked her how that went she said oh it went great you know the horse did everything and um, yeah we feel like we really succeeded and we really feel good about it and uh, she's standing there and I said "Uh, you're still holding that bucket of burdens and again it was she looks down at the bucket looks at me like I had hit her between the eyes and it just again the tears started to flow and, and I said you carry it all she said I sure do carried all those dreams all those goals and all those burdens but would not hand it off to somebody else to unload it that's that magical part I can't explain
0: you can help keep this life-changing and vital program alive for veterans first responders and their caregivers won't you please help 100% of your one-time or recurring tax-deductible contribution goes directly to transforming the life of a deserving disabled brother or sister in arms Let's not turn our backs on those who have given themselves to preserving our liberty and rescuing us from harm. Please join me and the scores of other veterans and first responders who are stepping up to help our fallen brothers and sisters. Go to guidingrains.org, See what they're accomplishing and consider helping us save this program from extinction. Because if it disappears, so does hope for so many families just like yours. GuidingRains.org. G-U-I-D-I-N-G-R-E-I-N-S dot
1: O-R-G. So let's get some housekeeping done. Marty's V-Burger. Marty's V-Burger.com. One best handmade personal burger, vegetarian, oh, excuse me, vegan burger. So check out Marty's V-Burger.com. Uh, if you live in 49 states, not New York, you want to make sure you have U.S. Law Shield. Go to U.S. Law Shield and use Gun for Hire or Gun for Hire Radio for your discount code. If you live in New York, anywhere in New York, NYTAC Defense, Peter Tillam, Tac Defense, very important. Decoding Firearms by John Petrolino. It's available on Amazon, Kindle at Gun For Hire, and it's also available at Aberdeen Guns in Monmouth County. Go down there and ask for John. Uh, you can pick up uh, Crime Proof there as well as uh, Decoding Firearms by John Petrolino. Please check out the Quarantine Crawl over three hundred and sixty-two a businesses, products, and services, QuarantineCrawl.com. <clears throat> My doctor, Optimal Health Wellness NJ, Optimal Health Wellness NJ, Dr. Joseph Sambatero. For a few hundred dollars a month, you get concierge medicine. No more waiting in offices and waiting six months for a freaking appointment. <clears throat> very, very important. Lake Island Rifle and Pistol Club, L-A-K-E-I-S dot org. Lake Island Rifle and Pistol in Carteret is looking for junior rifle members between 12 and 18 years old to learn firearm safety and to compete in small bore and air rifle competitions. If you find yourself in the Scotch Plains area, check out ZenFloatCenter.com. The owner, Sharon Decker, and her husband, Chris, are salt-of-the-earth people, and you can go and get a nice float and clear your head and have a great relaxing experience. And the last thing I want to talk about is Friends of the NRA, www.FriendsOfNRA.org. Go on it and search by zip code and you're going to see October 5th, 2023 at Biagio's in Paramus is going to be the North Jersey chapter friends of the NRA dinner. I will be the keynote speaker. It will be a huge fundraising event. There's a lot of opportunities there. Support those who support you. Thank you, Steve Churchill, for being the chairperson of the North Jersey friends of the NRA. I hope to see you all there. Without further ado, Jay, tell us about what you were go right back into it. It's all yours, brother.
2: All right. So, a couple years ago, when we were, when we were involved in, the che- in pushing that Cheeseman case uh, around the time of Rogers, so we're in like 2018, 2019, I did a show with you guys, 447 and 448. We did two shows in one day, and I told you the story about why we have a jury of 12 and i told you the story about uh david brearley and david brearley's father and the british trying to steal his land so let's get back to let's get back to the grant from to the duke of york so the duke of york gives it to Carteret and and berkeley and then berkeley is west jersey he sells his land to a group of land investors and they're all they're for the most part they're quakers so the only three that we really need to know for this story is going to be William Penn. There's another guy named Edward Billings. Billings, It's not spelled like you would think. There's a lot of Y's and a lot of double L's in it. But. And then there's another guy. His name is Malone Stacy. Now, Malone Stacy and William Penn are Quakers. Obviously, William Penn ends up being the guy who starts Pennsylvania, right? Uh, Billings is not a Quaker. He's actually a brewer in London. And he has some money trouble after he buys his shares of West Jersey. Now, David Brearley's grandfather buys his place of his uh, plot of land in, I think it's Maidenhead, New Jersey, in Maidenhead, New Jersey, from Malone Stacy. Billings goes belly up and sells his his land to the king's doctor. The king's doctor, the last name is Cox, C-O-X-E. And and believe me, this family is, these guys are aptly named Cox because this guy sends his son to New Jersey and his son starts running around um, Well, he's trying to sell plots of land. But at the same time, you got to remember, this is the 1600s. These guys don't have super, super accurate layout um, of property lines. And so yeah, one of like the from things... From
1: this tree to that y- rock and bounds, yeah. to that pond.
2: Right. And so one of the for, things up that... to
1: that mountain range. Yeah. This
2: guy, Cox, tries to sell David Brearley's father. So the grandfather buys the land, leaves it to David Brearley's father. This guy, Cox, comes in and says, whoa, 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 your title's bad. You didn't buy that from Malone Stacy. That was Billingsland, and if you want to stay here, you have to pay me for the land. And so Brearly the father, shows his deed, except the problem is this family, Cox, and this family, Cox, is bad. Like, Cox is is the stamp collector up in up in Boston that gets thrown out of Boston. If you've ever heard me tell the Woodbridge Sons of Liberty story, he comes down to mm-hmm. New Jersey before the Woodbridge Sons of Liberty chase him, to, chase him to Philadelphia. But this family is bad, and this guy is evil. And he, because he's connected to the king, he's, a, he's on the New Jersey Supreme Court. So obviously his, his paperwork wins in court, and he's the guy who has Brearley's father arrested and sends the the Redcoats to arrest him. And so as the story goes, the neighbors would get together and they would take their guns and they would go overpower the jailer and they would break him out. And a week later, the British would come back and they would rearrest the father and then they would put him in jail and then the, and then the neighbors would break him out again. And so there's a case called Holmes v. Walton. It's actually a Monmouth County case and it's a very, very interesting case in Monmouth County because there is a lot of fighting about produce and animals, and there was a law that was made that you were not allowed to sell your produce from the fields in freehold, and you're not allowed to sell your animals to the British and ship them through... Middletown into Highlands and then get them on a boat to go to New York City. And obviously, everyone would want to do that because the Americans are paying with paper money and it's worthless, and the British are paying in sterling silver. Anyway, in Holmes v. Walton, this guy Elijah Walton stops a wagon train. And if you do the math, it's in the today, the value of the wagon train is millions and millions of dollars. And he seizes it and takes it. And so the argument in court by Holmes, Solomon Holmes, is not, is not that he committed, the, he sold goods to the British. It's that he was convicted by a jury of six, and that's not fundamental. And that is why Brearley the son, even though he's a patriot and, and ab- absolutely detested people selling produce to the British. He overturns the case because the guy wasn't tried with a jury of 12. Now, also in Judge Bum's court, there's a case in 1950. It's called Jepson, United States v. Jepson. I sent you the link to it. Super important case because it explains the entire Holmes v. Walton story better than any history book I've ever read. It's amazing how much information is in this decision. And... What they explain is that David Brearley went through our founding documents, which would be the grant to the Duke of York, and then there's another one that is the Constitution of East Jersey in 1683. And they, they cite two more. Now, all of these documents that are cited in all of these documents that are cited in Jepson exist. I sent you the link, I sent you a link to the New Jersey, what is it, the New Jersey Archives, okay, mm-hmm. and that, I think it's page 153, in in the Constitution of East Jersey in, I'm sorry, it's 1683, the Fundamental Constitution for the Province of East Jersey, 1683. Okay, I sent you a link to that. Um, which you can post for your readers, and it's on page 157, and they they discuss the right of conscience. So this is, remember, we got a big problem with Quakers and non-Quakers here, and we also have a big problem not only with Indians, but we have a problem with the Spanish, and we have a problem with the French, and we have a problem with trappers, and we have a problem um, just like is going on in Holmes v. Walton, that people are being robbed as they're trying to move their goods around and sell their products. They're just being robbed as they take their carriages down the street. And in Monmouth County, they, they actually it, it wasn't a written law, w- but they told people in Monmouth County at that time, you have to carry your weapons with you all the time. Whether you're transporting your produce, whether you're going to church, whether you're on the farm, you need to have your weapon with you all the time because we don't want these guys to steal the produce and give it to the British. So here's what, here's what the right of conscience read in 1683. And that amongst the present proprietors, there are several that declare that they have no freedom to defend themselves with arms and others who judge it their duty to defend themselves, wives, and children with arms. It is therefore agreed to and consented to that they, the said proprietors, do by these presents, agree and consent that they will not, in this case, force each other against their respective judgments and consciences in order whereunto it is resolved that on one side no man... Declares he cannot for conscience' sake bear arms, whether proprietor or planter, shall be at any time put upon so doing in his own person, nor yet upon sending any to serve in his stead. And on the other side, those who judge it their duty to bear arms for the public defense shall have, a, shall have their liberty to do it in a legal way. This is, this is organic law which probably means more to David Jensen and and Dan Schmutter than to us. But this is citable law in court cases. And so what I'm telling you about the history here is that the history of the Quakers in 1683, the right of conscience not to bear arms, is what gives us the right of conscience to bear arms today. And when I say that, I mean everywhere. I don't mean in just those narrow zones that Danielson has carved out and all of the other zones are off limit it's everywhere and and that that's going to go back to that's going to go back to Heller but there's a whole other list of things that separate the core lawful purpose of self defense from what New Jersey is declaring to be dangerous right and so when New Jersey When New Jersey enumerates all of these places, so uh, you're going to get into casinos today, like casinos um, where people congregate, uh, stadiums, stuff like that. They're they're doing it under the guise that it's dangerous. That is that whole statute of Northampton argument just spun around and, and sold another way. They can't do it. So as long as your intention... Is the core lawful purpose of self defense? And and I'm I'm gonna add to this. If you have the FID card and then you went out and got the carry permit, you know, you are what Burton would call in nineteen sixty eight a fit element of society. You've passed all the background check, you pass a mental health check. You know, you and I argue over the qualifications, but you've passed the qualifications. And so sure. what else do they say? is making people carrying in those locations so dangerous. They have no evidence of any permit holders, you know, in stadiums or in casinos or in any of these locations in their cars that are just randomly pulling out their guns and shooting people. That's just not the way, that's just not the way it works. And so to me, if you go about the history and the state wants to throw out the 1771 number i think if you're dan and you're and you're david you got to look into this right of conscience because that's one of the rights that still exists in our present constitution so when they say in the laws of Allenson, until they're altered by the legislature that was never altered that survived that right of conscience survives the 1776 constitution <coughs> it lasts in the, it's again they they recodify it in the 1844 constitution and it's and it's unchanged today in the 1947 state constitution that you have the right of conscience and the reason i asked you guys what i what you thought it meant was because there's a lot of guys who hear the right of conscience and think it only means the freedom of religion that's not what it means it means the right to do what you see fit and as long as you're not as long as you're not bothering anyone else, then you're allowed to do it. So I think that's kind of the problem that the state is going to run into with their, with their horrific, horrific analogs, okay?
1: You know, so real quick, uh, the a- ANGRPC put out an alert that we should boycott all of the Atlantic City casinos. So I'm a trendsetter because I've been boycotting them for about 35 <laughs> years now. <laughs> but you mean uh, both. Murphy pressured, yeah, <laughs> Murphy pressured the casinos to put out uh, an alert that they're not going to allow firearms, conceal firearms out there. Now, that might not even be legal because the casinos have been taking taxpayer money for the past 40 years to keep them afloat, yeah. to pad the politicians' and the unions' pockets. Let's yeah, face it. Exactly. They're not even independent companies anymore. They're just another branch of the government. They're another welfare branch of the government. So. If you usually go to the casinos, even if you're going to go occasionally, send them an email or something and tell them that you're pissed off that they took this stand. Because I'm sure Murphy's going to start doing this uh, to other businesses, products, and services as well. But like Jay is saying, they don't have a leg to stand on. So with that, Jay, continue because you have you have some more stuff before we run out of time and then Sandy yells at you and I. <laughs>
2: well, I, I, like I think that's important. Like when you say stuff, especially when you say it. When you say stuff like that, I think one of the things that we've seen in the course of the last nine months is that, A, we have to stick together, and B, we, yeah. have, to start, we have to start voting with our wallets. And if, if the casinos want to do that, I think you're 100% right. Like, I'm a little different than you. I could go to a casino and stay awake for 48 hours playing blackjack. I, don't, I, I never drank when I went to a casino. I drink coffee the whole time, and, I, and if I'm winning, I could stay there for 48 hours. But, but I will never <laughs> go again now like why would i want to go if they're going to be like that
0: right
1: yep
2: all right so let's let's move forward a little bit to 1774 and i think this is like historically one of the things that people miss um and i know that they didn't teach us this in high school and i don't learn this probably until i'm 35 but I've often said on your show, like, we didn't go to war over the tax on tea, And I told you guys the John Langdon, Paul Revere story the last time. I, I, I right. think that was 448, right? Yes. But what happens in October 19, 1774, is that the British Secretary of State, the Earl of Dartmouth, sends a circular letter to all the governors of the colonies. And that circular letter, I'm not going to read it, but I'm just going to give you, um, I, I, I sent you, I think, a link to this as well. If not, I'll get it up for you. The, they're banning the exportation from Great Britain of gunpowder or any sorts of ammunition without a license from the king or the Privy Council. And that's a really good 2023 way, way to say what they took 42 sentences to say. But what happens is the governors, and when I say the governors, I'm going to use Dunmore, in Virginia, I'm going to use Gage as the military governor in Boston and then I'm going to use our governor William Franklin. They don't take that letter to mean any gunpowder, lead or ammunition that's being shipped into the into the colony after October 19, 1774. They mean they they look at that as we're going to seize all the gunpowder, we're going to seize all the weapons. And so Where I find the circular letter for the first time is in the New Jersey archives. I'm reading a New Jersey archives printed in like the late 1800s. And I stumble across this. This is amazing. Our our governor is William Franklin. He's Ben's son. He answers Dartmouth on February 18th. So like 60 days later, February 18th, 1775, he answers uh, Dartmouth and says, nothing shall be wanting on our part For the seizing of all weapons without a license and that's what those guys meant that's why gauge marches to lexington and concord he wasn't going after weapons or gunpowder at the dock he was going after stuff that we already had can i i'm just going to add something here because i was talking to you about this before if you're a history guy like me and you read the circular letter you have to understand how precarious the Second Amendment supply chain is right now. Like, the government, and when I say that, the government that we're dealing with right now as far as guns and ammunition are involved are what I would call, if we were going to give it an analog at the time of the founding, loyalists or Tories.
1: Yes, they're they're Tories, yes. Yeah. They're yeah. Tories.
2: They don't want yes. us to be armed because they don't want us to have the power. Right. And so They're when I explain to brown, yeah, and when I explain yeah. this, um I'm just going to tell you, I had an epiphany probably in November of last um right before the you know two months before new year's, but I kept bouncing back to the circular letter. I kept bouncing back to the circular letter, and then it hit me. I, was, I talk to guys. People call me all the time and ask me what gun they should carry or what holster they carry or what ammunition do I carry. You, you know. You probably get 4,000 times more of those than I do, but I get enough that I keep telling people to gum, go to gun for hire and buy their guns from you and i had an epiphany and i think that your listeners need to understand this we can't be worried about saving $20 or $50 or whatever it is to buy or shop online that this supply chain thing is so precarious we have to keep our firearms vendors and our firearms and ammunition sellers in business if that means paying an extra 10 or 15% we have to do it absolutely now you guys know like i, I it takes it takes me a half a day to go to gun for hire to shoot so i can't i can't i am all about i am all about giving back to those who support you right but that's not really i mean that's a nice that's a nice feature for me but the reason that my whole family is members of gun for hire is because you built a better mousetrap my wife actually wants to go to gun for hire she loves the ladies room always talks about the ladies room (laughs) My kids have memberships, and so for my wife, when my kids are home from college, to go to take a day off from work and go to Gun For Hire, she actually enjoys it, and it enables me to shoot an extra day. That being said, like I'm going to try to buy everything I can from Gun For Hire, but I'm in Monmouth County, so I also have, and I'm not going to mention names, but there's two guys down here that are with ones within 15 minutes of my job and ones within 15 minutes of my house they're they're not anywhere near gun for hire these are small shops but i'm going to go buy from them if i can't get the gun for hire i'm not going online to try to find something to save 10 or 15 dollars because i understand the history and i understand what the british were trying to do and you're going to see you're seeing this now with these ammunition logs that they're trying to get they're trying to cut the supply they mm-hmm. can't get their way in court mm-hmm. they're going to try to cut the supply and if and if Correct. The, the gun vendors and the ammunition sellers don't have the money to defend themselves in court because they're worried about getting their prices to the bare bone minimum to make three cents on a three cents on a box of ammo and four dollars on a handgun because they have to compete with online sales you're just putting our own guys out of business and that's ridiculous and so I'm just telling you what I'm doing, but for me, I will never buy online again. I'm buying, I, there's three places I buy from. I'm trying to buy most of my stuff for Gun for Hire because Gun for Hire, I know how much you support. I know how much you gave to the Cheeseman case. I know exactly how much you gave to the Cheeseman case. I know how much you, revenue you generated for the Factor case. I know how much you do for the cause overall. When I say that, I'm not just talking about Coons and I'm not just talking about Siegel. I'm talking about all the cases. And so you are the biggest ally that any of us have. And so for anybody to be out there and be like, well, I could buy a Hollis on $20 cheaper online, that's just idiotic. And, you're, and really, you're really just shooting yourselves in the foot by buying online to save $20. So that I just wanted to throw that in there with the circular letter because that's how fragile the supply chain is. We are literally in October of 1774. These guys are doing everything that they can to make sure that we can't exercise our rights. And right now, it seems to me, they're trying to cut off the supply of ammunition. How much time you're, we got,
0: You're Sam? absolutely right. We've got about 10 more minutes left. And, and that's a very, very important point that you're making, too, especially for the guys in western Jersey who uh, routinely will go over to PA. Or, and, and, again, they're making these laws with the registration, with with taking your name down for the sole purpose to push people out of the state so they go to Pennsylvania, go to Walmart, go wherever to buy their ammunition so they don't have to be recorded in New Jersey. But what you're doing is falling into the trap that they're setting, which is to try to push every firearms dealer and ammunition dealer in the state of New Jersey out of business.
2: Yeah, and yep. then after they do that, then they're going to put troopers at the Pennsylvania Absolutely. border, and they're well, they going to stop have. people on the way back in.
0: Yes, and they, they, and they do that put, now with the gun shows. Now. Right,
1: exactly. You know, uh, real quick, uh, yesterday morning we woke up, and we go on the far system at the gun store and the uh, ammo registration started for handgun ammunition. You know, we usually have to ro- log it in our on a book, right? Mm-hmm. When somebody comes in to buy handgun ammo that's going to leave the range, leave the gun store. Now it's online and it's a hun- $1.50 charge, surcharge. Jeez. No warning from the state police, no training, no education for every firearms dealer in the state of New Jersey. We just woke up in the morning, and it opened up with, you have to start using this immediately. So a total violation of, of everybody's security. As a dealer, I can go on and look at the name And you get your FID number and the ammunition of everyone that that bought ammo in perpetuity that's on this log. We alerted the state police of the security breach, and they're working on it. Of course, some retired trooper's sister's cousin's friend probably owns the (laughs) IT company (laughs) that built this portal (laughs) for $25 million. (laughs) Or it was a Goldman Sachs thing with Murphy. Can can I ask you a question?
2: What what would happen if you didn't do it you just said, I'm waiting for guidance?
1: they <laughs> uh, they come yeah exactly, yeah, exactly, think exactly, think,
2: think about this, Lord yep. Dartmouth sends a letter from England that comes over on a ship, gets here, is read by our Governor William Franklin, and he writes a reply, sends it back to England, and then gage marches on Lexington and Concord, and all of that happened faster than the New Jersey State Police can <laughs> issue a carry permit. <laughs>
1: They're waiting for guidelines. No, that's great. They're yeah, because
2: they're all guidelines. waiting for guidelines. But yeah. if you if you say, well, I, we don't know how to do this, then then they'll take away your license. Right. Well, if you want to do one more, I ship one more up there. I I think um, this is this is a really good one. So, if you look at the New Jersey Constitution of 1776, there's only two signers on it. One is Samuel Tucker. The other is William Patterson. William Patterson is really an unbelievable guy. I think he's underlooked in history. But this guy's amazing. So he represents New Jersey in the Constitutional Convention. After the Constitution is ratified, he becomes New Jersey's senator in the first Congress. William Livingston dies. He leaves the Senate and comes back to be New Jersey's governor. George Washington appoints him 1793 to be an associate justice of the Supreme Court. And he, he writes some unbelievable decisions. But in this area of 1793, so from February 13th to April 24th, he's moving from the governors of New Jersey to the Supreme Court. He starts writing letters to the newspaper so to put it uh in an understandable way this is exactly like a federalist paper okay except it hasn't really gotten around most historians outside of new jersey don't even know this exists and no one goes back to it he's writing under this uh, a surname of aurelius and one of the ones that he does is called an essay on a well-regulated militia um They appear in uh, Arnett and Blobitt's Guardian and the New Brunswick Advertiser. This is the first line of an essay on... This is now William Patterson, right? A well-regulated militia is considered as essential to the preservation of civil liberty. That's his first line. Boom. Boom. Right there. Second line. What indeed is a militia but the people themselves prepared to act as soldiers for the purpose of resisting oppression and securing their rights. To be prepared for war is the way to prevent it. To be ready in arms, to meet and resist tyranny never fails to deter its re- approach. I'm going to leave it there. I gave Anthony the link to this and I'll tell you what, I found, yeah. this way, I found this way before the internet was like the internet today. So when I got it the first time, I went to Rutgers Special Archives and had to wear white gloves and I hand transcribed this. So to me, this this is the most amazing thing. You have to click on the link that I provided um, and read the whole thing. But here's why I think it's amazing for Coons and Siegel. The government always tries to get around this whole tyranny thing. And they keep trying to tell us that the militia is in case of an emergency to be called out in case of an invasion or an insurrection, right? Those are the two things. That's not what William Patterson said. William Patterson said, he didn't even mention that in his first three lines. He mentions tyranny. He mentions stopping the government. And so, as we're discussing Coons and Siegel, right, what, what Danielson's bill is allowed to do, we're supposed to, Heller told us this, and there's other cases that do it, we're supposed to put ourselves in the minds of the founders yeah, as they made time, the Constitution. Right? He's not, concerned, he's not concerned with um, an invasion from Britain. They were here. He was concerned about an invasion from his own government. And so why would the founders say that the, the government, the legislature, Danielson, Phil Murphy, the executive, why would these guys be able to put limitations on the right when the right is designed to protect us from them? That makes no sense in the eyes of the founders, especially especially Patterson. His next line reads, Tyrants dread free men when free men not only have arms in their hands, but know how to use them. I'm going to skip a line. The citizens of New Jersey are too enlightened to stand in need of any dissertation upon the utility and the importance of a well-organized and well-disciplined militia.
0: Boy, how things have changed.
2: How things have changed. Listen, they're going to keep going back to this national guard thing they want us to think that that the militia is a government organization designed for governmental purposes right here not right right? it's not and so i think there has to be a way you you got to assume um jensen's jensen's hit a home run and dan's hit a home run and whatever happens in judge bum's court as soon as it happens new jersey's going to file in the third circuit right Oh, if yeah. they if they do, and we really want to talk about how the founders viewed the right at the time of the founding, and start to talk about some Second Amendment analogs, this this holds a lot of water. The Second Amendment is about stopping the government, not about stopping um, the, a foreign government. It's about stopping our own government.
0: What a great way to end. One
1: hundred percent, Jay unbelievable you knocked it out of the park again we're going to talk to uh, dan and uh, david and scott and then we'll bring you in in rotation again i can't thank you enough for all your research that is some strong lines and patterson is the town right next to the gun range here and it was in patterson that judge Capicella was the first signing off most of the carry permits and most of the hard gun stuff the party stuff was coming from patterson how apropos i love this Uh, we got classes coming up at Tenzia Protective Pen and Knife, April 16th. Use of force taught by real PTC certified instructors with a slideshow and a test and question and answer. Obviously, CPR, AED, hemorrhage control classes. Glock Shooting Sports Foundation League started again. Go to gunfire.com forward slash gun leagues. Also, visit our website homepage for all of the updated constant changes from the state police as the lawsuits progress. I agree with Jay 100%. Shop local and support those who support you. There's a lot of great places in New Jersey to spend your money. I read it all the time online. I bought my ammo online, and this, I'm going to save $0.08 or ship my (laughs) gun in and save $2. You want to keep the little guys in business, even if they're not the best in the world. We need everybody to keep that supply chain up. So, Jay... I want to thank you again, and Sandy, close it out.
0: Jay, thank you for everything that you do and for being taking the time to be a guest on the show. Uh, well, it looks like you've done it again. You've wasted yet another perfectly good hour listening to Gun For Hire Radio. Gun For Hire Radio is a county media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. On behalf of our show host, Master Trainer, Anthony Calandro, author of Crime Proof, Think Like a Criminal and Beat Them at Their Own Game, available wherever great books are sold, and at the gun shop, bookshop, gun range, known as Gun for Hire, where you can also purchase ammunition. So we <laughs> love you guys. Um, <laughs> from the, from the uh, shadows of the New York City skyline, the Monmouth County shores, and the Gulf, beautiful Gulf Shores of Alabama this week, we Shut love up. you guys. <laughs> uh, God willing, Jesus tarries and the batteries hold out. We will see you again next week.